Well, hey team, how are y'all doing tonight? It's good, it's good to see you all. Um, uh, how's the, the semester's moving along, right? But not nearly fast enough. I know this is the, <clears throat> this is the tough part. I always remember October being like, oh, so rough. See what I did there, rough? <laughs> I'm here all semester, folks. So hey, um, before we get into the, the, our uh, message tonight, two real quick plugs. Really want to plug Westco, Winco, whatever you want to call it. Make sure you're there. It's going to be tons of fun. Uh, California is a lot of fun to visit. I don't know if you want to live there, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Huge park, it's only a 10-hour drive, not a 24-hour drive. So, uh, and the scholarship is extended. Hey, so if you want to come and money is an issue, don't let money be why you don't come. So we have scholarship. You know what? I'm just going to give the scholarship code out right here, right now. The scholarship code is SD, San Diego, SD200. Boom. It just happened. All right, so go sign up, go register. Um, second thing, the Halloween party. Come to that. It's going to be super fun. Like, I'm excited about it, and I don't do parties. So <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. I really encourage you to come. Dress up. Uh, bring a friend. Look, the more people there, the funner it is. So let's just, you know, if there's just me and someone else, it's lame. So uh, come a lot of people. Uh, bring a lot of people. So uh, that's all. We'll dive into our message now. So um, we've been looking at the book of John. As many of you know, y'all have been here with me, with us. And uh, we're continuing in on our study of uh, how John interprets the person and the work of Jesus. And throughout this semester, we've looked uh, off and on at these self-identity statements that Jesus makes. He makes a series of what are called the I Am statements. And he, he's telling us a little bit about who he is who he is and why it matters. And uh, tonight we're going to look at another one of those I am statements as Jesus has a dialogue with his, uh, with his followers. His call, they're called, called his disciples. And uh, this is, as I've been studying it and I've been reading what other people have said to, had to say about this, they say this is probably the most challenging uh, and definitely the most explosive claim possibly in the entire book of John. So uh, I hope that you will uh, pay attention and look into this and as we look at it tonight. Uh, and what is, I think, happening in, this, in this, this statement when Jesus says, I am, there's an, there's an element of comfort to it. There's an element of sweet comfort for us, but there's also a huge element of challenge and even of offense to us. So uh, as we look at that, we're going to see tonight that this statement that Jesus makes is both very comforting and also very challenging to us. So uh, let's look at it. So a little bit of the, t uh, the context before we get into this is that Jesus is now coming to the end of his ministry. So he has been walking and teaching and doing ministry, uh, ministry for three whole years, right? So it's a good amount of time. And um, he, has, uh, he has since said uh, that he says, my hour has come. That is, the reason why I've come is now at hand, and, and I need to go do the whole thing that I came to, come, that I came to earth as God to do. And you know, we know after the fact that that's to die and come back to life. Uh, and he tells his group of disciples, he says, uh, I'm leaving. I'm going away. I'm done. We're, I'm, basically, the squad's breaking up. <laughs> uh, he says, we're tight, and, I'm, and we're, we're breaking up. The reason I've come to earth is, is at hand. I need to go to the cross. I need to uh, and do this. And, uh, and, and, and they're, um, they're upset. They're like, wait, 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 wait. We have a good thing going here. 
We've got some laughs. We've got some great times together. Why are you splitting? Why, why, don't, don't do this. Why are you leaving? And they push back. We want you to stay with us. You, we're your friends. And Jesus says, no, I have to do this. And, wh- and I have to go. And not only do I have to go, but y'all can't come with me. You can't follow me. And that makes them super distraught and sad. Uh, obviously, because if you're, you know, you're tight with your squad and all of a sudden the leader of the squad says, like, hey, we're done. This has been fun, but we're done. You know, distressed and sad. So um, that's the moment that Jesus kind of lays down this, lo- this line of, he, this is who I am, both to comfort you in the midst of your sadness and to challenge you. So uh, with that in mind, uh, look, what you're, look with me at this. Um, oh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we now have Bibles in the back. So if you would like to have a Bible, go look on that table and just take one. So, uh, and if, we take, if somebody takes all of them, I can get more. So, um, but in the meantime, look on your, uh, look on your little bulletin. So uh, this is from John chapter 14. Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am going, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way that I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Would you pray with me? Father, we are uh, tired in a lot of ways. We're, uh, we feel harried. We feel the pressure of uh, nine weeks, ten weeks of the semester. And uh, we look ahead and we're just not sure how we're going to make it in a lot of ways. And so I pray that you would give us strength um, in the coming weeks as we study and work uh, to do what you've called us to do. I pray now as, you, um, open, as we open your word that you would give us strength and uh, attention to what you say here, uh, that we would be both challenged and comforted. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so like I said, right off the bat, look what Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. So they're upset. They're like, oh, come on, why are you breaking up the squad? And Jesus says, Jesus says, no, 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 don't, you don't understand. This is going, this is, this has to happen. And it's a good thing that this happens. Let not your hearts be troubled. That makes sense that he would say that. He says, I'm leaving, but don't be upset about it because it's a good thing that I'm going. He says, don't be sad because I'm leaving for a purpose. I'm leaving not just because I want to break us up, but because I want to, I want to go a place and do something while I'm gone. He says, trust me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Trust me that this is for your good. And, and that word believe uh, in the Greek, that's the word that, that literally means trust me. He's like, look, you trust that God is good and at work. Trust that I also am, God, am at work. And in, in a sense, he's also saying, I'm God. I have to do this. And it's for your good. And he explains what's happening. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I would go, that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And where I am, you will also be. He's saying, I'm leaving so that I can go prepare a place for you, and then when I'll come back and we'll all be together. I'm going to prepare a home, basically what he's saying. He says, I have to go so that I can prepare a home for you. 
And I read that this week and I was actually like, that struck me because I'll be honest, like I've been really homesick this week. I don't know why, because I haven't lived at home for like 11 years. <laughs> but I was, I've still been really homesick this week. A lot of you know that I grew up in Colorado and I have really fond memories of Colorado. I love the mountains of Colorado. I love the memories there. I love my family. I just, I, I don't know, I had like these pictures coming, going through my head of playing uh, yard games in my backyard with my parents and um, yeah, just, just all these fun, so I was homesick this week, so I binged YouTube videos on Colorado and felt sorry for myself. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've lived in a lot of places, New York, St. Louis, now New Mexico, and I still am homesick, why? Well, it's because I have a really strong sense of belonging in Colorado, like that's home. I know that I belong, I have fond memories of belonging there. Playing games in my parents' backyards, watching TV with my families, being in the mountains. I think a big part of it is just like driving streets that I knew, that I grew up driving. Like I still know my way around Colorado Springs because I, I just, I grew up there and I miss it in a lot of ways. Uh, sights and sounds are like the first sights and sounds that I can remember as a, as a child. Um, and I think in all of those things is like a sense of like, when I'm there, I belong. Like, I, you know, New Mexico's, it's great. Like, I love New Mexico and Colorado still feels like home a long ways because I know that I belong there. Like when I go home for the holidays, I can walk in the door and be like, yes, this is where I belong. This is home in a lot of ways. I know that a lot of us, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're not from Las Cruces, you're homesick right about now, nine weeks. And, why? Because we miss home. We miss not just home, but we, I think more importantly, we miss that sense of belonging a lot of the time, right? That sense of like, this is where I belong. This is my roots. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm leaving and I'm going to go make a place. I'm going to go make a home. I'm going to go make a place where you belong. A place where you can feel like you, this is where you're supposed to be. He says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare that place of belonging for you. I'm leaving, and as hard as it is for, this, for me to leave, the benefits of my leaving are better. That a sense of, ah, oh, this is where I belong. Imagine a home, for those of you who are homesick, imagine a home like home that's better, that's just like this eternal sigh of, yes, this is where I belong. And then for, you know, some of you never had that as a home. And Jesus is saying, like, I'm going to prepare a place for those who follow me where you do have that. That's very comforting. He says, I'm going. Yeah, it's, it's rough that the squad's breaking up, but I have to go and I'm going to, I'm going to come back and bring you to this place of belonging. And I think it's important here to note that this home that he's preparing, it's not some sort of like lavish opulence or material wealth or something like that. Growing up as a kid, there was this song that would play on the Christian radio. For starters, that's where it started off wrong, is Christian <laughs> radio. But it was this song, some of you have probably heard, it's called My Father's House, and the chorus went, it's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms, a big, big table with lots and lots of food, a big, big yard where we can play football, a big, big house, it's my father's house. Ugh. <laughs> 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 and the image in the song is like this mansion that's got like all this stuff and this opulence and like all this greats going on. And, and that is not what 
John or Jesus have in mind? Like basically some sort of reality TV pad or like some like something like some music video pad that's just like ridiculously extra over the top. That's not what he has in mind when Jesus or John are talking about here. He has in mind here that belonging of homeness that we all long for. That can be that simple sitting around the dinner table on a Wednesday night just being like, yeah, this is where I belong. This is home. How do I know that? Well, look at verse 3. He says, uh, and I go and prepare a place for you and I will come again. I will take you to myself and where I am, you may also be. He's not talking about opulence. He's talking about relational connection. And over and over again in the book of John, he's ta- he, Jesus talks about his goal in coming is to make us in intimate relationship with God and to make us connected to each other, to make basically this intimate, sweet, belonging family. He says, that's what I'm going for. It's the language of friendly belonging that Jesus here is concerned about right relationships between God and people and people and people that are marked by this warmth and this homeness. And that's comforting. He says, that's where I'm going. That's why I have to go is to do this for you. The image that came to mind as I was thinking about this is from A Christmas Carol. Maybe some of you have read it. I'm sure you all know the story of of Bob, Bob Cratchit's home. You know, Bob Cratchit is this is the sort of sweet, simple uh, character that's sort of the antitype to, to Stooge's terribleness. And his home is just this sweet... All right, so I'll be honest. I'll shoot straight. My, my best image of Christmas story is Muppet, the Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> that's terrible, but also wonderful. Like, and there's this sweet... Like, the Bob Cratchit's home is, you know, in the Muppet Christmas Carol, it's super poor... And there's no, not a lot of food, but it's really sweet. And, and, and Scrooge looks in on it, and it's like, I w- he yearns for that. He's like, I want to belong like that. I want that simple place that even though it's, you know, and it's not to say heaven's going to be, you know, lame. But that's not why it's, it, what's great about it is that there's this sense of sweet belonging. That I, this is where I'm supposed to be. Warm, intimate, friendly, desirable. And we know here that Jesus is referring to heaven. That he's not, you know, when we think of heaven, we think of like angels singing in choirs forever and ever and ever, and that sounds lame. Or some sort of like raging party, and that sounds weird. What Jesus has in mind here when he's talking about heaven is the sort of place that you go and you say, oh, yeah, this is, this is where I belong. That home sweet home. Connection with God and with each other. Jesus has in mind total love, being known completely and loved completely at the same time. So in the midst of the gang is breaking up, Jesus says, don't be upset about this. I'm leaving so that I can bring us back together in that perfect belonging, no more homesickness. And that's comforting to me, at least. And I think that should be comforting to you, that in the midst of, in the midst of our world where we're just like, I there's this longing that I have to belong. Jesus says, I'm, bring, I'm going to bring you to that place. Trust me. Trust me. Because that's the first point, is the comfort here. Now let's turn to the hard parts, to the offensive part, to the, to the hard part. So, so look at verse 5. Thomas, this is one of Jesus' followers, says to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? So the, Thomas is like, yeah, I'm all in. I'm all about this idea. I want to belong. I want to follow. He's like, okay, you're going to prepare a place. You're going to build this house where we're going to belong. I'm all in. 
How do we get there? And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're thinking in the wrong ways. Thomas is thinking basically like, okay, just give me a road map. Give me a geographical, like GPS coordinates, and I'm there. I want to belong, right? I'm all in for this idea. How do, we know, how do we know where you're going? We don't know the way. And he's just like, just give us a map, and we don't have to break up the gang. It'll be great. And Jesus says, wait, wait, wait. You're, you're, you're thinking too literally. And Jesus, this is where Jesus lays down his, uh, his, his, this, this, this mind-blowing line. Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying here, you want that home, you want that belonging, you want that comfort. He's saying, well, I'm the way to get there. You're not a road map. I'm the way to get there. Now, when Jesus saying, says this, he's making probably what is one of the most offensive statements in the entire Bible. How? Why? Because Jesus is saying here that he alone, exclusively Jesus, is the only way to get spiritual life, is the only way to get exclusive belonging, to get that comfort. He says, he's saying everything else, every other thought system, every other religion, every other way of being a person, he's saying it's wrong. He's saying that he alone is the source of spiritual life. He's saying that, he's saying that if you're, you're going to fall, the only option is Christianity. He's saying Christianity is the only correct religion. He's saying that Christianity has a monopoly on spiritual truth. He's claiming to be the religion above and superior to all the others. <laughs> That's a really bold claim. <laughs> That's a really bold claim, and it's also a really offensive claim. Because anytime anyone says, I'm right, they immediately impl imply that anyone who else says differently is wrong. And that's what Jesus is saying. And that's offensive, right? I, I talk with students from all walks of life on this campus, and the number one challenge that people say of Christianity, the number one is, how can Christianity be the right religion? How can Christianity be the right religion? That's so offensive. That's so exclusive. What are you guys thinking? Like, there's a whole pantheon of views and ideas out there. Like, go take a sociology class. How dare you say that you're the, you're the only one? Here's three things I hear, I think, and you've probably heard this, you know, three responses when I say that. People will say, well, oh, that's really offensive and exclusive. You know what really matters is just is sincerity. Just be sincere in what you believe. I hear this all the time. Just like, follow, you know, believe what you want, just be sincere in it. I hear this all the time too. Second, what is true is whatever will work for you. I call this the sleep soundly argument. People will say to me, like, basically, like, whatever helps you sleep at night, go with that. And I'm going to go with help sleep, me sleep at night. Just like, you do your thing, I'm going to do mine, we'll be cool. For some, you know, so it's like, you be a Christian, I'm going to follow this. I'm going to be Hindu, I'm going to be Buddhist, I'm going to be just sort of like spiritual but not religious. As long as we all just kind of agree to treat everybody with dignity and respect. Just... Just do whatever sleep helps you sleep at night. As long as you don't hurt anyone, you should be allowed to believe whatever you want to believe, right? Third thing I hear a lot is people will say, like, that's really exclusive. 
actually what I think is that kind of all religions have a piece of the truth. Like each one has a little section of it. Um, and no one has like a, a, a monopoly on the truth. I call this one the blind man and the elephant. Um, you've probably heard this illustration before of like, it, you know, truth or reality is kind of like an elephant and, and blind men come up to it and they feel a part of the element, elephant. They can't see all of it. And, you know, one guy, one blind man feels the trunk and says like, oh, reality is like a snake, you know. And another guy comes up and feels the leg and says, no, no, no. Reality is like a tree trunk. It's solid. It doesn't move. Another guy feels the tail of the elephant and says, no, 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 no. Reality, truth is like a, it's like a rope. And everybody's got like a piece of the puzzle. Everybody sees it, you know, a piece of it. And, and different religions can do different things like that. And look, here's the deal. Each one of these feels so good. The sleep soundly argument, the sincerity argument. Each one of these kind of pushes aside like this exclusive claim that Jesus is making. Uh, and here's the problem. I think they're all wrong, <laughs> logically. Uh, I think there's big problems with them. Like with the sincerity argument, man, it feels good. And there's a lot of people in this world who have been sincerely wrong. There's a lot of people in this world who have been sincerely wrong. In fact, in fact, some of the worst people in the world have been sincere in the midst of being horrible people. Like white supremacists are very sincere in their doctrine that whites are superior. <laughs> That's like, it, sincerity doesn't cut it. It's not enough. It's no grounds to say that, sincerity has no grounds to say that someone is wrong. Or the sleep sound argument. It sounds great and it feels super inconclusive. Uh, I'm sorry, inclusive. But the problem is that buried beneath it is an equally exclusive premise that kind of relativizes all truth claims. It says, it says that there's, it, it says that there's absolutely no religion is absolutely true. It's saying absolutely that no religion is absolutely true. It says absolutely no religion is true. Well, what is it doing there? <laughs> it's, it's making an absolute statement. It's laying down, this is absolutely true. Nothing is absolutely true. Well, there it is. It just beat itself. It just consumed itself by its own logic. That statement is an absolute you can't say all religion is about what works for everyone except the view that I'm holding. <laughs> that's very, that's, that's contradictory. Or the blind man argument. It's the same as the above. The, the, the view kind of smuggles in an unproven assumption that, that the viewer is outside of the system watching all these different people look at the elephant and being like, oh, I see, when actually they're making an argument that they're just a part of the problem too. How can they prove that they're not, that how, they have to assume that they have this telescopic view, that they can stand back and say, reality is like blind men looking at an elephant, and I can see it all. Do you see the inconsistency there? It assumes what you're trying to prove. And it's actually kind of arrogant. It says, I sit in this position of philosophical and religious and sociological superiority from which I can assess all these other religions and say all of them are partly true. But, so basically all of these challenges to Jesus' exclusive claim, they seem to me pretty fraught logically um, and ultimately I think there's other ways uh, morally 
Um, so if, if you think I'm off, like come talk to me. If you think there's a problem here, I'd love to dialogue with you more about that. Um, I think there's a problem when you say when you when you come at come at those things that way. Um, and, but here's the thing: I think Christians we tend to do the same thing. Christians are not off the hook. I think we often buy into these arguments more than we think. Um, that we tend to think like, I'll just buy. I, you know, we just buy 50% of this thing. You know, it's like, well, my faith is just kind of my private thing, and I don't want to tell anyone else about it because they might judge me. Well, really, that's kind of the sleep sound argument. Just the light version. It's the diet version. <laughs> My Christian faith is good for me, but not enough to possibly tell someone about it. Not enough to possibly get mocked by it. Not enough to have an awkward conversation or invite someone to church. And that we need to feel the weight of what Jesus is saying here when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As much as our searching or non-Christian friends. So we come back to Jesus' statement here. So when he says, uh, the, the only way to spiritual life, the only right religion is, in fact, the only way, he says, to find this belonging that we long for, Jesus says, it's in me. I am the only way. So some of you might ask, like, Jonathan, who are you to say this? Like, what, who, where do you get off, Jonathan, saying this thing? And I would say, like, literally, I'm no one. I don't count, I don't matter in this. It's Jesus who's telling you. He is the one who's making the claim. Jonathan is not the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So don't shoot the messenger. Get mad at Jesus. <laughs> Examine him. He makes this claim of exclusivity. So you would say to him, by what right does Jesus make this claim? How can Jesus say this? And Jesus would come back at you and say, because I'm God. <laughs> and you would say, prove it. And when you say that, John says, you're stepping into my office. That's my whole point in writing this book, is to show you over and over and over again that Jesus is God. He's saying, I'm telling you all of these signs and miracles and things that Jesus does to show you undeniably that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the one who can heal the blind men, who can bring the dead person back to life, who can turn water into wine, who will die himself and then come back to life. He says, look, the only person who could possibly do all the things that Jesus does must be God. And if he's God, then he has the authority to say, I am only the way, the truth, and the life. Who else but God can do these things? And if he's God, he has the right to claim that exclusivity. So what does that mean? It means that Jesus is the path toward God. Jesus is the self-disclosure of God. No other religion gives us that sense of belonging. Only Christianity can give you that sense of belonging. At least that's what Jesus says. There's a wise pastor in the 13th century who wrote, this on, who wrote this meditation on this line, on this verse. I'm going to read it. I'm going to try and read it slow. Pay attention to this. It's, it's sort of old language, but it's beautiful. He writes, Follow thou me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. 
I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, true life, life blessed, life uncreated. If that's true, if that's what Jesus is, he offers us the hope of the comfort of belonging that we want and that we need. Jesus doesn't come to show us a pathway to God. He comes as God to bring us to it. And that cycles us back to what Jesus says at the very beginning. Trust me. Believe God. Believe also in me. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for this text. Thanks for the comfort that it gives us. Thanks for the way that it uh, promises us the belonging that we long for, that you have gone, you died, you rose, you ascended into heaven, and that you prepare a place for us of the sweet, simple family belonging and intimacy that we all long for, and that you will come again and take us to it. And yet, Lord, you also challenge us with shocking claims of your exclusivity. And that's hard for us to hear sometimes. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in and through us uh, and that we would be people who are slowly but surely transformed into trusting you more, into loving you more, into desiring and longing for the day when you will bring us to yourself and we will all belong. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.